A very good morning. Um, I am so glad to be here. It's been a miracle, actually, to be here again. I planned to come in 2020, and that didn't work out for obvious reasons. Um, but it's really, really good to be here. A quick question, and I like to ask this every time I come and visit. Um, who of you here were here 38 years ago when we were first sent out? Oh, great. Well, I ask that question every time I come, and the numbers get less and less. Um, and uh, at the same time, it's wonderful to still see you and to see these faces that are people that have so faithfully stood with us were there when we were sent out 38 years ago. And for us to, to know that even though we are physically not here, we're still part of the community. And that you are, are, are supporting us, not just financially, but also especially in prayer. And I will be sharing one or two things as I go along. Um, I'd like to share the word of God with you, but uh, as I do that, I'll be sharing some experiences as well and some of the things that we are doing. But first of all, very, very warm greetings from Andrea. Um, this actually originally was her church. Uh, we then, I then joined here afterwards and we were sent out from here to, um, to go to Thailand. Uh, in the meantime, we've been to a number of different places. The apartment that we are now living in in Germany is our 20th home in 40 years. So, yeah, this year we're also celebrating our Ruby anniversary. And, um, yeah, so that's coming up very, very soon. And we are, as we look back, we're just so thankful for all that God has done, uh, for the way in which he has blessed. And, yeah, there have been ups and downs. Yes, there have been challenges, but there have also been opportunities. And I think we need to see that. That's something which we learned in China. The word there for, for crisis is actually the word which is, a, you, know, you know, the Chinese has got these different characters. And so the one character is actually challenge and the other character is opportunity. And that's the word for crisis. And so that's, the, um, that's, that's, what, that's been a story of our lives. We have, um, for, those of us, for those of you who don't know us, we have three married daughters. And so our eldest, Tanya, is in the UK. She lives in the northern part of England and has two and a half children. So the third one's on the way. Uh, our second daughter, Anita, is also married, and she is living in the city in Germany in which we live, which is in Cologne. Um, so that's only about three kilometers away from where we are. And our youngest daughter, uh, married but no children, and she lives in, in Frankfurt. So that's about two hours' drive or an hour on a fast train. So we, we get to see, see each other very, very frequently. Um, this is something which I do need to say is that it's a gift for us now to be able to see family. Because um, if, there's, if, I, if there's one thing that has been really, really hard in the calling that we have had is that we have not, uh, or should I say we've been living separately for so long. Even from the time the children were six years of age, we had to send them away to a boarding school. And it is something we don't take for granted, but it's something that we thank God for, is that the relationship of the family is amazingly strong. 
And uh, our youngest daughter even wants to go on vacation with us. <laughs> so that gives you an idea. Um, and we've told her, look, you don't have to feel obligated. No, we want to go with you. <laughs> and it's, that's it's just amazing to, um, uh, to have that relationship. So thank you. Uh, our thanks from both of us uh, for um, being part of this community, for your support, and for the way in which you've stood behind us. I would like to share with you from the book of Acts. And I'm going to turn to two passages, two very brief passages. One is in Acts chapter 8, and the other one is in Acts chapter 11. So Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 4, and then we'll move over to Acts chapter 11, and verses 19 to 22. Acts chapter 8, 1 to 4. And Saul approved of their killing him. So we're speaking about Stephen. Okay? On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Now we skip over to Acts chapter 11 and verse 19, and here we see there's a continuation of the story. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. And the Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. And news of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. It's a fascinating story. But let's just take a moment to pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you that um, we're able to read the story now. And um, as, we, as we go into this, Father, we pray would you speak into our hearts by your spirit. Help us, Lord, to understand your word. Help us to understand what you are saying to us today. We give ourselves into your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. So as you will have noticed, our story begins actually with the stoning of Stephen. That was in chapter 7. And um, you know the story. You know that he was one of those seven deacons that were, was appointed to pass out the daily distribution to the Greek-speaking widows. And then Stephen was described as a man who was full of the Holy Spirit and faith. Um, he spoke. He was called before the Sanhedrin. He spoke, um, and he, at that point in time, God gave him a vision of Jesus sitting at the right hand of God. And when he mentioned that, he was then condemned for blasphemy, and he was stoned. There was a man standing there at which they put their coats before they stoned Stephen, and that man was Saul. 
And that's in chapter 8 is where we see Saul goes into action. And now he seeks to basically destroy, to root out what to him was this rottenness of this new faith. And there is both a persecution as well as a scattering. And the word for scattering, by the way, there is the word for diaspora. And that word probably is familiar to some of us. But the word diaspora ministry today, we talk about the ministry among people who are scattered away from where they come from, their countries of origin. What I find really remarkable about the story is, what I read to you in the beginning was three verses. There were four verses we read, but in three verses, the whole story is told. It's almost as if Luke is saying, I want you to know about the fact that the church was persecuted. I want you to know about the fact that they were scattered. But the important things really is about what God did. He just, in a sense, it's almost like he's glossing over what happened. But let's for a moment just put ourselves into the shoes of those brothers and sisters back then and think about what happened. Think about this here where there's there's, there must have been grief. There must have been great sorrow. There would have been anxiety and fear. And you find that they, 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 there's, there's a, there was a lot of feeling that there must have been. Um, even Paul himself later in Acts chapter 26, he tells a little bit about what happened back then. And he says of himself, I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign countries. But as we see, the scripture just glosses over it a little bit. What we do find, however, that the conflicts and the challenges and the problems are not new things. They're not just things we here experience. These are are, are issues and experiences that were felt and had back then already. And today, we talk about a world that is volatile, we talk about a world that is uncertain and complex and ambiguous. And what has just happened in the world over these last few years, and not just the pandemic itself, not just this illness itself, but the responses to that, we see how we have be we become an uncertain world. In the past, we could plan for so long in advance. I remember being able to book flights for some of my ministry trips a year in advance. What is happening now? We wait for two months beforehand, and even then, you book a flight that you can get a return on because of what is happening. So the world has become uncertain. But what do we learn here from our brothers and sisters in the faith back then? And there are a couple of points. First of all, what we learn is that they did not give up their faith. That's the first thing. They did not give up their faith. We can imagine what they went through. They were dealing with this obsessed enemy. Children lost their parents. Either they were arrested or they were executed. And then came this decision that the whole church would flee from Jerusalem. Can you just imagine uprooting from your home where you've perhaps lived for many, many years and you have to now flee and there's no chance that you can come back again? Can you just imagine the stress of that? 
And that's what they went through. But despite the difficulty, they were ready to go. They were ready to give up everything. But the one thing they were not going to give up was their faith in Jesus Christ. And I find that remarkable when we think about what we've also gone through. And I, in, in no ways am I wanting to trivialize or belittle what we have just gone through as a global community in these last couple of years. But compared to what happened at this particular time, we can see how so many of these things are relative. And how does this affect us as a church? How does it affect me as a believer when I go through these difficulties? How do I deal with loss? How do I deal with suffering? How do I deal with fear and anxiety? And these are realities. But we see here that they did not give up their faith. I remember way back when we still lived in Thailand and I was, I was mentoring and discipling a man, a Muslim man who had come to faith in Jesus. And it was a very difficult thing for him because he was the only believer in this village. Um, and he was being watched. And I could see that there was a lot of fear. And he had a lot of fear. And we, we would meet in a safe place outside the village where we would go through the word of God together. But something which really struck me was that after about six months or so of doing that, we met on a weekly basis. He would come through on a Monday. I would meet him there, and we would spend the day together and just soak in the word of God, pray, for, pray together, and so on. And after about six months, I noticed that there was a change. And I said to him, you know, Usman, I sense that, uh, you know, you've, you've changed. <laughs> And I, I just noticed that you're not, you're not fearful anymore. And, I, you know, I have things relaxed in the village. And he says, no, they're still watching me. And he says to me, and I'll never forget these words, the situation has not calmed down. But God has given me peace. They're still watching me. But I'm no longer afraid because Jesus is with me. And I thought to myself, that is, that is the definition of peace. The definition of peace is not the absence of conflict. The definition of peace is not the absence of difficulty and of challenge. The definition of peace is the presence and the knowledge of the presence of God, of Jesus, with me, with us, in those difficult situations. That's the definition of peace. And this is what he had here. And so we see here that... Our Lord Jesus Christ is the one who is the victor, not the fear. He is the one who is sovereign and Lord and all-powerful and not the fear. It doesn't mean we're not fearful. Yes, we are. We are human beings. But we have one to whom we can turn. And he is the one who is with us. He's always Emmanuel. We speak about Emmanuel at Christmas time, but it's not only at Christmas time that Jesus is Emmanuel. <laughs> He's always Emmanuel. He's always God with us. So we see here that they did not give up their faith. But this, the second thing which we see here is that not only did they not give up their faith, what they did do was they shared their faith. I'm really struck by that verse, isn't it, which I read to you. It says, um, here we have this, this story about being put into prison and scattered and persecuted. And then it goes on to say, 
those who have been scattered, preached the word wherever they went. Not only did they do that, as we go over to, to, to chapter 11 of Acts, we see that, that they preached the word of God, first of all, only to the Jews, but then they began to preach and to share their faith with the people among the Greeks as well. And that is really quite an amazing thing. So we see that continuation there. And we see there that they began to share their faith. That was the passion. That was the vision that they had. I was struck by a conversation that I had just um, two weeks ago. And uh, some friends of mine are in China. And... uh, you will have heard about the lockdown in China because China has this zero COVID policy. Now, just think of this. The city of Shanghai has 25 million people. I think, if I'm correct, that's about half the population of this country. Correct? Around about? Can you imagine half the population of this country in one city? And all of those people have to stay inside their homes all the time. They're not allowed to leave at all. And so there are, there are videos that you can see online where people are, are, are so stressed. You see these high-rise buildings and you just hear these, these, these millions of people just screaming out, you know, we cannot anymore. We need food. You know, we, 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 are, we are destitute. And there's just these screams that are coming through. And my, my colleagues are there, right there, and also part of this lockdown. And at the same time, they've got a ministry through Zoom where they're reaching out to people. Now, they don't come from China, of course, and so they are going, they are, this week, they've had the opportunity to go on a short break back to their country. And they're going to be away for three months in their country. And so they said we're very grateful to be able to get out of the situation for three months. But as we were chatting together, do you know what they were, they were asking prayer for? Do you know what their main prayer request was? They said, please, we need to, we, we, are, we, we are leaving China now, we, we are taking the break, but our main prayer request is, please pray that in three months' time when we want to go back, we'll get our visa. That's the main prayer request. They want to go back into that difficult situation because that's where they believe God wants them to be so that they can can live together with the people and share the good news of Jesus with them. So as we reflect on these things of not giving up faith in Jesus Christ and also sharing our faith in Jesus Christ, what are some of the deeper things that come through here? We mentioned already that the church here in Jerusalem went through a difficult time. Um, We have the privilege today now, as we look at the scripture, we can read the whole story in a few minutes. I read read that story in, in a couple of minutes there. But when they were living through it, they were right there in the middle. And they didn't know the end from the beginning. And that sometimes is where we're at. We're also there sometimes in the middle of our stories and we don't know what the end from the beginning is. But what we learn from this here is that God knows. 
as we go back to Acts chapter 1, Jesus is about to ascend into heaven. His disciples are standing around him. And they are asking him the question, Lord, are you going to restore the the kingdom to Israel? That was the matter that, that concerned them, that the kingdom should be restored to Israel. And what is Jesus' answer to them? Jesus' answer to them is, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That was was his answer. But here for seven chapters, basically, we see that the church is in Jerusalem. And there's no move out into other parts, into Judea and, and Samaria and the ends of the earth. But when that persecution happened, the believers were scattered. And the gospel went into Judea and it went into Samaria. And with these men from Cyprus and Cyrene sharing the good news with the Greeks, The gospel went into the ends of the earth because that was the beginnings of the church in Antioch. And as we know, the church of Antioch was then the foundation of mission that went into the whole of the Roman world. Again, we don't want to trivialize trivialize what happened to people. We don't want to trivialize suffering. We don't want to, uh, to gloss over that. But what we see here in the story is that God has his purposes and we don't always understand them. The church had to go through tremendous suffering. But as a result of that, the church of Jesus Christ grew. The church of Jesus Christ spread. The church of Jesus Christ began to include not only the Jews, but also the Gentiles. And so God is writing his story And even today in our lives, God is writing his story. And we don't always understand what is happening. We don't always understand that. We don't know sometimes all the stories and all the the things that are happening, even with what we have been going through and what we go through even in other situations. But what he does do is he calls us to trust in him. And that's what the people did. They, they, they trusted in God. And, you know, we can come to God, and, and it's quite okay for us as children of God to come and to ask the question, God, what, what are you doing? God, where are you in all this? God, how long? God, what are your plans and what are your thoughts? God, what now? What next? What else? We don't know. But one thing we do know is that you are there and that you know. And perhaps we are struggling with suffering and with loss and with all kinds of things, but we know that God is there. Because he says to us, my thoughts are not your thoughts and neither are my ways, your your ways my ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So I come back to these friends of mine who, wrote, who, who were in China, now on their way to their own country. 25 million people, all locked down in one city. 
not allowed to leave their homes. And the government says, we will provide food for you. Can you just think about the logistics of trying to feed 25 million people? And I'm just going to quote from their newsletter, from their prayer letter. We have learned to trust God at every step of the way. With the news and the social media swirling around us, and the effort that it takes to understand all this in a second language, Chinese is a second language, life has been tiring and uncertain. And there were times that we did not know what the next day would bring. And yet, we knew it would be something that we had not encountered before. One day, when Beverly had opened, Beverly is the, the wife, one day when Beverly had opened up the last bag of flour to bake a loaf of bread, and we didn't know where the next bag would come from, it really struck her. This is what give us today our daily bread really means. This is what give us today our daily bread really means. To trust God for each thing, each day, as it comes, and God is faithful. So as followers of Jesus and as a church, it's, an, it's this outpouring of trust that demonstrates to people out there that Jesus lives. Yes, we, we need to share. It is important for us to share verbally with people about Jesus. But it's the sharing of the word and the demonstration of the life together, the demonstration of trust in times of, of, of uncertainty. That's what speaks to people. And that's what brings them to know Christ. So trusting God, he calls us to trust in him. He calls us to prayer. And there's one thing we might be able to say, there's nothing we can do in this situation. There's nothing we can do yet. There is something we can do. We can come before the Lord and we can pray. Pray for him to fulfill his purposes. Pray for him to be present with us. Pray for him to work out that which he wants to work out and to, to work also in us and through us. But then the third thing is that so he calls us to trust in him, he calls us to prayer. But the third thing is, he calls us to witness for him as a global church. He calls us to witness as a global church. I think there's one thing the pandemic has done. It has made us aware of the fact that we're not here alone. But we are actually members of the global church of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know what I was so amazed about? was that um, during, especially during the, the really difficult time in the pandemic, um, hundreds of Chinese pastors were getting together via Zoom to pray together every week. Now, they had to be very careful about it because, you know, the government's always looking to know, to, to see what these pastors are doing and how to close them down. So they were pretty clever about it. They, they kind of moved things around. It wasn't always the same people praying. But they basically had this prayer movement whereby a couple of hundred pastors would be meeting on a weekly basis to pray. And in the beginning, they were praying for China. 
But as time went on, you began to see how things developed in their prayers. And they would begin to pray for the world. And they would begin to pray for the church in other parts of the world. And, and it was amazing to hear about how, when they noticed that the pandemic was hitting Europe, they began to pray for brothers and sisters in Europe. When they noticed how the pandemic was hitting Africa, they began to pray for brothers and sisters in Africa. So can you imagine, just to say that, you know, our brothers and sisters in China were praying for us. And, and it's just amazing to see that we're part of this global church. So, um, to share very briefly, we are, Andrea and I, are now in Germany. And for those of you who think that we are retired, the answer is no, we're not. <laughs> we are very involved with a team of younger workers who are reaching out to East Asians in Germany and in Europe. Now, we did this some years ago when we were in Germany, but the, the focus back then was on, you know, Asians were coming to, 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 to European countries, not just European countries, but also America, Australia, New Zealand, and so on, because they want to study. They want to get their PhDs. They want to get their master's degrees. And it's an ideal time, an ideal situation for them to come and to get a good PhD or a good a master's degree to go back again and to work in their own countries. And so that's what we were doing. We were reaching them with the gospel and they were returning back as believers. We were pre pre preparing them for that. Things have changed in the last 15 years. And increasingly, more and more Asians are now coming to these countries and staying. And now they are having children. And these children, the second generation, are ethnically Asian, but culturally and linguistically are becoming more and more German. So there's just been an Easter camp of 70 plus young people, young Chinese people. And this was led by some of our co-workers. And they were discipling them, but the common language is German. And there was an Easter camp of 40 Vietnamese. And again, the very same thing. The common language is German. And what's happening here is now the parents who are first generation and who have retained their Chinese or Vietnamese or Japanese or whatever the case may be, you know, they can no longer understand their children. Now, you may ask the question, which parent can understand these children anyway? But that's not the point here. The point is that linguistically they can't understand each other. And here you have the second generation of hybrids with a lot of challenges and the importance of reaching them with the gospel and of discipling them. But I believe that we need to look beyond that. And there are opportunities here. These are hybrids. These are a bridge generation. And for those of you who have links with Europe, you will know that the church in Europe is declining. The church in Europe is getting less and less. Christians are declining. And here you have Asians, Middle Easterners who have come to faith, Latin Americans, and all kinds of people coming to Europe. These, many of them are Christian, and they are infusing new life into the church in Europe. And so part, I believe, of what we are involved in in mission right now is not just mission to East Asia, but it's mission with 
East Asians and missions from East Asia to reaching other peoples as well. That's the missions, that's the reality of missions in the 21st century, which is a very different story to what it was 38 years ago when you first sent us out. Then it was mission two. Mission two continues, don't get me wrong. Mission two continues. The East Asians still, there are many, many East Asians who need the Lord. But many of them have come to Christ. And now part of mission is seeing that they become missionaries as well. And so that's very much what we're involved in. We are witnesses for Jesus as a global church. So our encouragement from our scripture today is that we do not give up our faith, but that we share our faith, that we trust in the Lord, that we always come together in prayerful reflection as his body and as his community, and that we are witnesses for him as a global church. And be encouraged in that. We are a global church. Even when things seem to go wrong, but we are a global church and we stand together in him. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much again for your, your love for us. Lord, I commit each one of my brothers and sisters here at Pinelands to you. I thank you, Lord, for each one. I thank you, Lord, for the relationship that we have had over many, many years. I thank you, Lord, for the faithfulness of this church. And Lord, we know that we've come through some struggles and some difficulties. Lord, we commit to you, especially the ones who perhaps have, have doubted and have, have pulled aside and drawn away at this time. Lord God, we pray, bring them back to you. And I pray, Lord, for, for each one of us here in this auditorium today. I pray, Lord, that you will strengthen us, that we'll be so, so conscious, Lord, of the presence of Jesus, that we will be fearful of nothing and anxious about nothing, but by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, that we'll present all things to you, our God, and that the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. In his precious name, amen.